You know, I, I like films about complicated people, complicated relationships, complicated friendships. Hey, Sky. Hey, Jenny. Sky, I had this conversation with Rita Baghdadi a couple months ago, and I held on to it because I knew that our listeners would want to watch her film immediately after listening to the conversation. And now it's finally out, streaming on Apple TV. Yep, it's super exciting. So this is the perfect time to watch Sirens and also to listen to this really great conversation that you had with, with its director, Rita. Yeah, so Rita's film Sirens follows an all-female metal band in Beirut. It's very intimate, it's entirely verite, which we love to see, and it made a really big splash when it came out last year. It premiered at Sundance, it won the Grand Jury Prize at Outfest, so we were really excited when Rita agreed to be on the podcast. Totally. So so what are some of the things that y'all that y'all discussed? So as I mentioned, this film's very intimate and Rita shot it all herself. Mm-hmm. She directed and shot it, which I'm always really impressed when people are able to successfully juggle those two things. She also talked about why she chose to make a film about these specific women, what drew her to, to them and their story. And, you know, a common theme on our podcast as well, how she was able to build trust with these participants. What an amazing conversation to start the year off with. And, you know, just speaking of launching into the new year, also just want to drop a note to y'all who are listening that as you may know, Rough Cut is a product of the Video Consortium, which is our global nonprofit media organization that is by and for filmmakers. And we have been going through some really big expansions and changes over the past couple of months. And we're so excited to say that our new platform at videoconsortium.org has officially launched. We're also now opening applications for membership again, and we're really excited to be admitting students now too, media students. So if you've been waiting to join VC as a filmmaker or a media student, now is the time. You can go to videoconsortium.org. We have a ton of amazing things happening and in the works for this year, along with a bunch of really incredible new episodes from Rough Cut, which we're planning right now. Yeah, it's an exciting year for VC and for the podcast. And in the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Rita Baghdadi. And cheers to a great year, everyone. I was reading up on you before this conversation and I saw on your website that you are a former equestrian and that you took some of those skills and brought it into your career as a documentary filmmaker. And I thought that was really interesting. I would love to hear about how you made that transition and what you learned from being an equestrian. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I don't think I like realized that those skills would transfer. It, it's kind of a joke <laughs> on my website, but the main one I would say, the main skill is like how to take calculated risks in the moment um, because that's what show jumping is all about is basically, you know, you, you have a set course, but you have to sort of gauge, you know, in the moment, whether you can, can you take out a stride? Do you have to add a stride? You know, you kind of have to go and it's a team sport with you and your horse. So, you know, it's a very intimate relationship between you and another being to achieve a goal and it's very high stakes. And so all those things I feel like are very similar to documentary filmmaking, you know, whether it's you and your DP um, or you and your subject and, you know, it can be very high stakes depending on what you're filming. So yeah, that's basically in a nutshell. That's interesting and very true. 
Tell us about how you came to this story and what made you decide to like make a whole feature film on this band? Absolutely. So Sirens really began very organically with me discovering them as a band through their music. It was in 2018. They had just put out their EP, their first EP. And, you know, I think, I don't know if it's, you know, the algorithm of the internet or whatever, but it sort of fell in my lap in a way, their music. And I remember being just completely taken aback by their sound and just the sort of power of it. You know, I I remember thinking like, where and when in our society, in any society in the world, do women have the permission, quote unquote, just scream? And so when you hear Maya scream in this music, you're just like, oh my God, there's something sacred about this music. There's something that's being, you know, conveyed that's like beyond like the words she's saying, you know, something just primal. And I felt it immediately. And I, you know, went and like looked them up and it turns out they're the first quote unquote, first female metal band in the Middle East, which, you know, is sort of gimmicky when you put it that way, but it also means something, you know, I, I was just intrigued to know more about them and, and just meet them. And so I, I messaged them on Facebook and Lilas, who became our protagonist, um, was the one to answer the message. And so we started a friendship online. Basically we started talking and we would do these long video, you know, Skypes which was before zoom <laughs> And we just talked about everything in life. And I really think that we connected on sort of a sisterhood level from day one. That is, again, sort of inexplicable and, and unexpected. And then she invited me to, you know, come visit her in Beirut. And um, the only support I had really was my producer, Camilla, who um, I'd never worked with before, but I had met her and she needed a DP for her project and I needed, and I wanted a producer for mine. I wanted someone to come and sort of, yeah, produce with me. And so we decided to trade. Her film was based in the UK. And so she's like, okay, I'll fly you to to London. And then you fly me to Beirut. And like, we just, you know, we just sort of, we're very resourceful about it. Hmm. I I didn't know what I was going to make at first. I thought, well, let's go just see what, what it's like. And what the girls are like on camera. And the minute I started shooting, I was like, there's a feature film in here. (laughs) I'm curious if the band members ever thought, oh, this is going to be a promotional film for our band. I guess a better question is like, did they understand that the themes are much bigger than their band getting big, you know? I mean, we would discuss like specifically like Alma, for example, the bassist, she would always ask me, she's like, what are you, why are you interested in us? And so I would talk to them about the themes I was interested in. I'm, I'm interested in the mundane really. Like the, I want to know what your daily lives are like and um, I don't care whether you get big or not, but you know, I think early on, you know, the economic crisis started happening and then the revolution happened. I think we all knew like this is, bigger than the band because there was so much going on in Lebanon. Hmm. There's two band members who the film focuses on more than others, Lilas, who you mentioned, and and Sherry. What made you decide to focus the film on those two characters specifically? Well, the minute I met Lilas, I knew that she would be an amazing lead for the film. You know, I, I uh, I like films about complicated 
people, complicated relationships, um, complicated friendships. As Sherry said in one of the scenes, there's so much that goes unspoken. And I was really interested to explore that. And they also were the ones to form the band. You know, they were the reason the band formed in the beginning. They met at a protest in 2015. And so I saw it only fitting that, you know, the film circled around them. But it wasn't until about a year in that I knew that 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 could carry, you know, that that could be a storyline that carries the film. Mm. And you live in Los Angeles and you obviously had to make several trips to Beirut to finish this film. How did you decide how long to stay there? I mean, that just must be incredibly hard to plan because it's a verite film. You don't know what's going to happen. How did you plan for that? So hard, so hard to plan, pretty much impossible. And there were many times when I made mistakes as to like when to leave, when to come back. The one big one was I left the day before the revolution started. Oh, wow. And I was like, I got to get back on a plane. (laughs) I didn't. I ended up just hiring someone to shoot that night. So it's a challenge with Verite that somewhere that's far away, you know, you really that that is that's what makes up the film is like, what do you actually capture on camera? And what did you miss? Actually, I was talking to someone the other day about that, like how the film you make is really all the moments that you missed, you know? Yeah. But it's okay. I think I think I learned to embrace that, you know? Yeah. And you shot this film yourself, except for the times where you couldn't be there, for example, in the revolution where you hired someone who was local, but primarily you shot this film yourself. Can you talk about why you made that decision? Was it financial? Was it, you know, that you had an artistic style that you were going after? Was it intimacy reasons so you could, you know, just be a smaller crew? Yeah, I would say intimacy is the number one factor. But I knew it was really important to find a sound person. And I wanted a local sound woman. I wanted a woman. And there's really only two, apparently, in Beirut. And at at least at the time, there was. And uh, the one woman wasn't available. And then I met Tatiana, who's the other. And she's an incredible collaborator, way more than a sound woman. You know, she became our co-producer. So I think for me, uh, keeping a small crew is always about intimacy and just being able to be nimble, just to be able to follow them, whatever happens. Were there any times where you were like, damn, I really wish I had a camera person here (laughs) because, you know, being a one man band or two woman band with your sound person is just a lot. The only time that I really was like, oh my gosh, this is tricky to cover is at Glastonbury when I had to cover everything, just me and one camera. And so getting all the different angles. It was literally me run, like sprinting from one end of the lawn backstage down to the, you know, down and back up again and like over cross stage. So that was one moment where I actually tried to get a second camera person there and they wouldn't let us bring another person. It was actually, they wouldn't even let our uh, producer in. It was just me and Tatiana, our sound woman. And actually she had never camped before in her life. <laughs> So it was quite the experience because um, there you, you have to camp at Glastonbury. And anyway, so that was one moment. But overall, no, I think that it, it only worked in our favor to have me behind the camera. But yeah, I mean, like like I said, there were moments when I couldn't be there. And so I want to just shout out the other two camera people that shot some beautiful stuff for us, which is um, Pauline Maron and uh, Marina Tabatrani, beautiful camera women. There's a scene in the middle of your film where there's a big fight and it feels like a really pivotal, emotional 
like one like plot turning point and also just really heavy emotional moment. Did you anticipate that coming? How did you plan for that? And was there any moment where you felt like turning the camera off just because it's such a private moment? Um, so the band fight was meant to be a band meeting and I asked them if I could be there and they all agreed to it. And so I had their trust at that point, you know, it it had been, you know, probably a year of filming before that happened. And, um, I had their trust. I had their consent. And again, it was just me and Tatiana in the room. And so it felt like a very intimate moment that I was privileged access. And so I never felt the urge to turn the camera off because I had no clue what was going to transpire. I didn't know that it was going to turn into a like Sherry leaving the band. So yeah, that's just the beauty of Doc. You just have, you never know. Yeah. The music or the score of the film is really beautiful and is a really interesting contrast to the music of the band. Can you talk about your thoughts behind the score and how you got the artist on board to do it? Yeah, so I, early on, I knew that I wasn't going to score the movie with their music. I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do outside of it yet until when I started working with the footage in the edit, like, for example, like cutting like you know, grant samples or whatever, these like short teasers or whatever. That's when I started playing with the footage in the edit and like actually putting music to it and seeing like what actually fits. But basically what I realized was that I was witnessing a album being made. So in that sense, everything was very in the moment. It was all transpiring in front of the camera. These moments of like, oh yeah, that's a great guitar riff. You know, like these moments were happening in real time. And so I felt that in order to do the, the music justice, I wanted to see those things happen and not necessarily just like, you know, plaster the film with like the produced version of it um, because then you don't really see the process. I mean, later I made the decision to like put one of the produced songs in the, in the credits because I wanted it all to kind of, you know, come full circle, but having the desire to see their music in real time rather than score the film with their music, I know I needed another element to it and a composer. And actually, my earliest idea was Fatima Al-Kadiri, who is a Kuwaiti composer, and she did the score for Atlantique, uh, which is a fiction film, and she's a really cool musician. She declined the project because she said she didn't like metal. And so I, you know, missed that opportunity. But then when I started working with the footage in the edit, I found myself using the score from Girlhood as temp music. I don't know if I know what Girlhood is. So Girlhood is a fiction film by Celine Siama, a French filmmaker. And it turns out Para One, who's the composer, has done all of her films. They're good friends. And so when I put the, for example, the theme to Girlhood to Sirens, I was like, this is perfect. Hmm. And so I reached out to him and it took him months to get back to me. But when he finally did and he finally watched the rough cut, he was like, I feel very comfortable doing this film. Let's do it. He is incredible, incredibly talented, incredibly sensitive, just a really beautiful collaborator. So that's kind of how it all came. And and so basically the style of the music, I knew, you know, when I started playing with it, that we needed a juxtaposition to the heaviness of the metal, of their the Slave Siren style. And I wanted the music that was counter to that to speak to their, the softness of their characters the other side of the sirens right so you have the like angry loud 
screaming sirens, but you also have the soft, like young women, the sisterhood, the friendship, the the first love, the you know all the the sadness and the melancholy, and so I, I wanted something to speak to that that could juxtapose the metal music. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great choice. And this is like the big question with all Verite docs, but like, how did you know when to stop filming? Was it a creative decision? Was it a financial decision? Yeah, I love this question. And I I can't honestly say that this was like in the moment. I was like, oh, now we can stop. But I remember in the edit later, so thinking about this moment later in the edit and being like, okay, we, we have a movie here. Um, and it's the protest scene towards the end of the film when Lilith goes out and parties and then meets up with Sherry the next morning at the protest or in the streets, really. And she's telling her about her night out. And um, and then the protest magically comes up behind them. This moment is just it encapsulates everything the film is about. You kind of get all the themes of the film in one frame. And I love that. And I always look for that in my films. I I, I wait for that. I want that one moment when everything is visible in one frame. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was one thing we learned in photojournalism in college was like telling a story with one photo. Yeah. I never did journalism or, or photojournalism, but I, I totally, that is something I think about all the time. So Sirens was executive produced by Maya Rudolph and Natasha Leone. Can you talk about how they got on board with the project and what they brought to it? Yeah, so that was actually after our first trip, our first development trip, which I self-funded in November 2018. We got back early December. I cut together um, a three-minute sample, just like a scene or two. And um, I remember reaching out to Lisa Heslov. She's a dear friend of mine who I, I shot her film, Served Like a Girl, in 26. Well, it came out in 2016. I was just thinking I'm going to share it with someone that I trust that like will tell me the honest truth you know like is this interesting what do you think about it so I sent it to her and she immediately wrote back and was like can I share this with a friend of mine and I was like sure uh absolutely and that person was Danielle Renfrew Barons, who happened to be at that exact moment starting a company with her two best friends Natasha Leone and Maya Rudolph and Danielle is a former documentary verite documentary producer and also used to run a film fund. And so she's very entrenched in the doc world. But she happened to be starting a company that was basically a vehicle for making TV and, and film projects with Natasha and Maya in mind. And so she was kind of taking a departure from documentary at that moment. But then she saw the sample and she was like, can I send this to my collaborators? And you know, happened to be Natasha Leona Maya Rudolph. And I said, of course. <laughs> and so the minute they watched it, they fell in love with it. And we had a meeting and basically that was that. And Danielle was truly helpful. She helped us raise the next round of financing so that we could go back and shoot. So what they brought was really their, you know, lending their name to the project and also Danielle with her skill set as a producer of Verite Docs, a risk taker in that way. You know, it's very risky to fund these projects when you don't know what the story will be. You don't know how will and you don't know how long it will take. So she was willing to take that risk and put her name out there and help us raise financing. So that's really how it started. And it was all after five days of shooting. Wow, that's extremely lucky. If you're comfortable sharing a bit more about the like funding process of this film, because I know that's one, you know, thing that a lot of our listeners are curious about and our filmmakers themselves. Can you talk about how you went about that? 
Yeah, it was a mix of grants, soft money, so like donations from people, and then equity investment. So the earliest money, well, was really my my own money, but then it was um, equity investment. And I got a few grants. I found it a little bit tougher to, to raise money with Sirens through grant institutions. I think, you know, because I wasn't centering an issue in the film, mm-hmm. at least at first, like there wasn't, you know, in the beginning, there wasn't even the revolution in the film. You know, there was no footage of it until a year in. And so these institutions need something to hold on to. Like they need like a like an issue. or So I found it difficult to do that, but I did get some and um, I'm grateful for those. And then um, we just kept piecemealing it together, basically. It would be, you know, Danielle bringing us someone or me finding someone or Camilla, our producer, who's also really amazing, amazingly talented at raising money. And so, yeah, it was kind of a joint effort in that way and, and really ended up being like 50-50, let's say, soft money and, and, and equity. Yeah, I always wonder that about documentary films that are not really issue driven because what is the motivation for a foundation to put money into that? I think more and more they're more open to it. Um, but I think I'm not, maybe I'm not the best at writing it in that way, like spinning it in the writing. I think because I used to, I also have been on granting body review boards. And so I've read a lot of them. And I think that there are people better than me at writing, like, how does this fit into the framework of like a, an issue? And so it's like, I think any any film you can really spin that way. And I just, I'm not good at spinning. So, you know, I think maybe we would have gotten more if I had just like let someone else write the grants. But more and more, I have found that they're more open to taking risks on more artistic approaches to filmmaking. Not only just like story-driven, talking head, like issue-driven, you know, it can be more experimental, experiential. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting that you were on a grant review board. What really stood out to you in the way that people like sold their films? Like what was convincing? I think there's just a a language and a style that, you know, comes from like maybe the, I don't know. I think that's people in the art world. That's how they get money. That's also how they, how you contextualize things like paintings, you know, that like anyone can look at a painting and think of something completely different than what it was meant. It's like the artist has to like, explain themselves in a way and I I feel like films are self-explanatory like I don't want to talk I don't want to have to explain it you know I'm I'm happy to talk about it but I don't want to have to write an essay about what it means I I would hope that you would get it from watching it and so I think there are people that are much more well versed in the language it takes to explain what something means and why you made it and da 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 can you talk about what's next for you um, yeah, I'm making a documentary with National Geographic, and I have one other film I've been making for about three years that is like technically we're fingers crossed going into production, official production early next year. I can't really say what it is about, unfortunately. It's like it's a there's a trial involved, and it's like a very highly hush hush project. Um, and then I have another. I have another project that I have actually been making on and off for seven years that I'm now turning into a series that I'm pitching. And then I have another film that I really want to make, which is just a seed of an idea, (laughs) which actually takes place in Morocco. And I kind of look at that one as a, I would love to make Sirens like a triptych of films where, you know, it's about like complicated friendships, like, you know, sort of in the Arab world, you know, like more coming of age stories that are that kind of subvert expectations so 
yeah, those are things I have going and I, and I, I just, I have a, yeah, I, this is my issue is I have too many film ideas for one lifetime. So. <laughs> yeah. I think a, a lot of us uh, are dealing with that balancing lots of things in different stages of um, production. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Rita, for taking the time to do this. Anything else that you want to add in general where people can follow you or, you know, get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram mostly uh, at Rita Amel. So R-I-T-A-A-M-A-L. And that's probably the best way. But I also have a website, RitaBagdadi.com, and you can reach me via email there. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Rough Cuts hosted and produced by Jenny Butler and Sky Dylan Robbins. Abby Kittengore, Amy DiGiacomo, and Kaylee Fox-Shannon are our booking producers. Audrey Horowitz is our editor, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And this podcast is part of the Video Consortium, a global nonprofit media org that connects the world's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists to tell bold stories that catalyze positive change. You can become a member and join our global community of nonfiction storytellers at videoconsortium.org. And if you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram at at roughcutpodcast or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. These are nonprofit endeavors with a mission to democratize the industry playing field for all. So if you want to support VC and this podcast, we would love if you'd head to videoconsortium.org to donate. Thanks for listening and see you next time.